Reading today is from Genesis 25, 19 to 25. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethel, the Aramean from Paddan Aram, and sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife, because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. The babies jostled within, it jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew, I'm famished. This is why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Look, I am about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Thank you, David. Uh, If you've got a Bible with you or on your phone or whatever, keep that open. Sovereignty, Stretch Marks and Stew. That's the name, title today, just to pique your interest. Now, I don't know about you, but COVID lockdowns and restrictions and all that, it's helped us to not take things for granted, hasn't it? It's helped us to appreciate anew things that we had, we had to miss out on. So on Friday, um, Miv and I went to the show. Um, now, on many levels, the Royal Adelaide show is awful, isn't it? And I've said it before, if you want to recreate the experience, just eat loads of fat and sugar, um, have, a real, have on music really loud, spin around in an office chair, and throw away $20 notes. <laughs> You'll come back feeling pretty much the same. But it's great fun. You know, me and me, we make, it's our daddy-daughter thing, and we make our own fun. So, like, in the dog show, we find the person who looks most like their breed of dog. That kind of thing, so... <laughs> Anyway, this year we appreciated it all the more because we've not been able to go for two years. So Miv's not been able to experience it through a nine or a ten-year-old's eyes. But if I dare say, if we had had those two years, by now the novelty probably would have, have worn off. And as we look at this story of Jacob um, in this series, it's all about God's plan to bless us. For us to know the pure goodness and joy of being wrapped up in God's love, in perfect relationship, perfectly provided for, 
full of all the things everyone's looking for in life. Belonging, purpose, satisfaction. It's a blessing. What do you think of that? At the end of today's reading that Dave just brought us, we see that Jacob's brother Esau, to him, didn't mean much at all. Worth less than a bowl of lentil stew and a bit of bread. So how much do you value God's blessing? So listening to this, some of us might be thinking, well, you know, that God, religion, all that, they're nice, interesting, big ideas. They might have something to offer. But they're a million miles removed from my day-to-day experience, with, from the people and the things that really matter to me. And God blessing us, well, good luck to him, given the overwhelming practical struggles of life. And that's before you start dealing with the relational struggles of dealing with real people and their real problems. So if that's where you're at today, I hope to show you that Jacob's story shows us God is interested in all of our struggles, relational and practical. And that they can't scupper his plans to bless us. And you can't scupper his plans to bless you. Indeed, he's at work in and through our struggles to bless us. For others, if you've been a Christian for ages like me, we might be tempted to think, well, God wants to bless us. Well, of course he does. What else would he be doing? We can become so like used to, inoculated against being captured by the enormity of God's love and grace to us. And so for us, to the people like me today, I hope Jacob and his family's story in this series wows us again with how big and undeserved and unstoppable God's grace and blessing us is. So here's where we're heading. Just two headings today. Sovereignty and struggles. Uh, looking at the first half. And then sovereignty and strugglers. Sovereignty and struggles. Sovereignty and strugglers. Uh, sovereignty is just a posh way of saying God's sovereignty. It's a posh way of saying God's in, God's in control. God's total authority, power and rule over everything. Sovereignty. So then, first, sovereignty and struggles. Let's just catch up where we're up to in Genesis very briefly. Well, Genesis helps us make sense of life. It, it explains what God is like, what we're like, and why the world is the way it is today. And from the very beginning, God's plan has been to bless us. Perfect peace, perfect joy, lacking nothing in perfect relationship with him. But we, humanity, have rejected that blessing because we don't want to trust or give control to anyone else, even if it's the best thing for us. So we go looking to bless ourselves. And that breaks our relationship with God and means we're in danger of missing out on his blessing. Now, God could have just left us to it like that um, and all the darkness that we'd bring on ourselves. But in his kindness, he put in motion a plan to bless us, to rescue us from the just deserts of our prideful rebellion and reconcile us back into a good relationship with him. And it's a plan that ends with Jesus, but it begins back here in Genesis with one man, Abraham. God makes a contract to bless him and for this blessing to be carried through his family. So this chosen person will become a chosen nation through whom the chosen one, Jesus, will save us all. 
that's the story so far. Now, a bit, I'm not preaching on the start of chapter 25. What's happened there has been um, about how the blessing was inherited by Abram's son Isaac. And today's story is kind of like the prequel prologue of how that blessing is coming to Isaac's son Jacob. So that's just joining the dots up. Okay, so as we come to it, verse 19 and 20, they're kind of all reminder of that story for the original hearers. The story so far is being God getting in there and making things happen to bring about his blessing, to keep his promises, despite and through his people's, his chosen people's struggles. God making things happen. So Abraham, there was nothing special about him. It's just that God in his grace chose him. And God's plan to bring us blessing is going to involve Abram's family becoming a nation. So how does God choose to start all that? Uh, With an elderly, infertile couple, (laughs) of course. God works in unexpected ways involving real day-to-day struggle, sometimes over long periods of time. Yet he keeps his promises So it's only through God's miraculous intervention that Isaac's been born. Um, So the blessing can't come to us without God's miraculous intervention. It's always by his grace, not what we do. Grace has always been by what God does, not what we do. Always has been, always will be. So now in verse 21, we see God working in and through struggles in unexpected ways. Again, this kind of rinse and repeat. So verse 21, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. So we find out later in that verse 21 there, it's just one verse, but it covers 20 years nearly. 20 years. God is at work. God is in control. But I bet there were times in that 20 years when all this talk of blessing and offspring must have seemed like a joke. I bet there are lots of times in your day where it feels like God's got nothing to do with it. Like he doesn't even care about it, let alone could do anything about it. But Jacob's family reminds us God cares intimately about real people, about real situations. Jacob's story reminds us God is keeping his word even when we can't see it, even when it seems all it's lost. Well, then the struggles don't stop. Once Rebecca is pregnant, verse 22, the babies jostled each other within her and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. Now, you won't be surprised to hear I've never been pregnant. But I remember my wife Sharon telling me that sometimes it felt like our babies were, you know, doing Michael Flatley kind of Irish dancing on top of a bladder. Well, Rebecca has got that in spades. And I'm sure Paige will be able to tell you all about what it's like being pregnant with twins afterwards. (laughs) Or Joanne when you see her next. Now, in the Bible, there are spectacular mountaintop encounters with God. There's quite a lot of those. But there are also encounters based on ordinary incidents like this. So our mum-to-be 
with a bad back, a stretch marks, a lack of sleep, at a wit's end, with these babies jostling inside her. And what Rebecca's experiencing is already is the struggle that God says is going to come between the twins that she's pregnant with. So verse 23 helps us understand the rest of what happens to Jacob. Verse 23. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. So this is news that will shape the history of entire nations, prompted by the sleep-deprived cries of a pregnant woman. God has sovereignly chosen before either of these babies has ever done anything. So Jacob doesn't earn the blessing that comes to him. As we'll see, he doesn't even get it in good ways. It's all God's initiative, all God's choice, all God's grace. And once again, in unexpected ways, not how we do it. It flips the cultural norm where the firstborn is always more important. And here the older will serve the younger. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, writing to the Romans, talks about this exact thing as an example when he's talking about God's initiative in saving us through Jesus. Romans 9, verse 10. Not only that, but Rebekah's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born, or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand... Not by works, but by him who calls. She was told the older will serve the younger. See, we sit in a long line of God choosing in his grace and mercy. Isaac was only born by God's choosing. Rebecca is pregnant by God's choosing. The older will serve the younger by God's choosing. And we come to saving faith in Christ. By God's choosing. God chooses. Yet at the same time in Genesis and in the rest of the Bible, none of that takes away our responsibility. We're still fully accountable for our actions and thoughts and our response to God. Even if none of that is a surprise to God. Now our logic says, well, how those... Two things can't be true at once. That must mean some of my agency, some of my free will is taken away. It's all God's fault if I go wrong. But the Bible never lets us off the hook like that. God is sovereign and we're responsible for our actions. Now you can choose to have a headache about that. Or you can take from it what God wants us to take from it. Confidence in him. Assurance that nothing can stuff up his plans to bless us, least of all us. And isn't that good news? Isn't that a relief? Because I don't know about you, but I haven't got much to commend myself to God to encourage him to choose me. And I've got a lot that could be brought up with my interview to cause him not to choose me. If it were down to us, knowing God's blessing or seeking to know it would be a miserable performance-related affair. But instead, knowing God's forgiveness, 
knowing he's choosing us and reconciling us to himself through Jesus is a blessing. God is in control and God wants the best for us. It won't always look that way. He does things in unexpected ways. But Jacob and his family help us know God is sovereign in our struggles. He's sovereign in our struggles. And he's also sovereign through strugglers. Our next heading, sovereignty in strugglers. So on TV quiz shows like um, Family Feud, for example, they always have, those families, they always seem perfect, don't they? You know, all, always taller than Grant Daniel, but they all seem perfect. You know? uh, when I was a kid, there was another one. When I was waiting for Doctor Who to come on, there was this awful quiz show. It's called Ask the Family. It's just so twee. You know, the, the dad was always um, a company director or a nuclear scientist or something. The, the mum was always a teacher and the kids were always right brain boxes, you know. It seemed to exist to display middle class families and their superior knowledge and poshness just to make people like me feel bad about themselves. And it succeeded. So how per- perfect families... Uh, I'm, you know, with the royal family this week, um, the mean, more mean-spirited and seeking to puff themselves up commentators have been keen to point out all the things that are wrong with that family, haven't they? But how perfect are this family that God has chosen to bless the whole world through? You know, this is the make-or-break family. How perfect are they? Well, not very, are they? I mean, the first clue is in the names. So Esau... Is hairy, and his name sounds like the Hebrew word for hairy. So it's a bit like on holiday once in Italy, we, there was an old man in the same hotel, really skinny and bony. He looked like the actor Peter Cushing. And because he was so bony, he always had a cushion with him. So we called him Peter Cushion. You know, so it summed up what he looked like and what he carried with him. Captured his essence. Same sort of thing with Esau. It's kind of like a plain words and hairy. Jacob means he grasped the heel. Uh, named after him grabbing Esau's heel as they were born. But there's another layer to his name. There's an idiom, a long way around the saying stuff. So in English, right? Once in a blue moon, when you're as snug as a bug in a rug, and it's raining cats and dogs, to let the cat out of the bag, we have lots of phrases that are a long way round of saying something, don't we? Well, same in Hebrew. He grasps the heel is a long way round idiom of saying he's a deceiver. He's a trickster bit of a wheeler dealer if you catch my drift and it's a name that hardly inspires us then with confidence in him as as the future of God's blessing but these twins their separation begins as they grow up verse 27 the boys grew up Esau became a skillful hunter a man of the open country while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents so the chalk and cheese Esau probably wrestling bears, bears which are jealous of how hairy he is. <laughs> he's a rugged, he's outdoorsy, you know. Jacob, he's a stay-at-home kind of guy, you know. I don't know what he did at home, putting things on shelves, making tea. And none of that would really matter. Neither sort of personality or type of person is right or wrong. It wouldn't have mattered except it feeds into their parents playing favourites. Verse 28. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, 
loved Esau. Isaac loves his meat, so of course he loves the guy that brings home loads of meat. But Rebecca loved Jacob. So Esau's dad's favorite, Jacob's mum's boy. So the seed of division is, is there. Relationally, this family is like, like a tinderbox. They're like a, a bone-dry, uncleared forest floor on an extreme fire danger day. They're just waiting for a spark. So let's pick it up at verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why it was also called Edom. Edom means red. Verse 31, Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. So Jacob's been really tricky in calculating here. He's spotting the chance to take advantage of his brother thinking with his stomach, as he knows he does. Oh, well, I'm about to die, so I said, what good is a birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. Literally, swear to me at once, he says. Closing the dodgy deal before Esau actually gets around to engaging his brain. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. <laughs> is this is the family that God chosen, God's chosen to use? Is neither the parents, nor Esau, nor Jacob come out well in this, do they? And yet God can use even the worst of us to fulfill his plans. And God can choose even the worst of us to bless. That's what's encouraging about this family. Maybe you keep God at arm's length because you think, I'm not good enough. You know, if, you, if you knew the things I'd said and done in life, you wouldn't want to bless me. Or maybe we think, me? Who am I? I can barely plan this morning, let alone be part of God's plans to bless the world. Or maybe we think, blessing me? I, I don't really need a blessing. But there's at least a touch about all these, of all these people about us, isn't there? There's at least a touch of the thoughtless hunger of Esau. The conniving weaseliness of Jacob. The plain favourites of Isaac and Rebekah. We've all had at least a bit of that in us, haven't we? And yet God chose them to be part of saving the world. And as we look through the rest of the Bible, who does God choose? The poor, the widows, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the blind, the lame, the refugee, the younger son. The ones we would never have chosen. It's like God is biased towards the broken. If your trust is is in Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. God has chosen you. And that means we've got nothing to boast about. It was never about our performance, our suitability. Uh, it's all about God's grace, his choosing us. The good news of that is, it means our hope is not in what we do, but in what God has done for us. 
back to Esau and Jacob. Unusually for Genesis, the narrative breaks into the story at the end to tell us what to take away from it. Because we might think the Sunday school teaching of this is don't be tricky like Jacob. But that's not where the narrator goes. Verse 34, the Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then he got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. It's Esau he wants us to look at. Esau despised his birthright. So we're not just talking about Esau, um, him only getting three sheep instead of ten. Or, you know, a quarter of the farm instead of three quarters when dad dies. No, Esau knows that the birthright in this family, that's who the blessing goes with. He knows about the blessing promised to Abraham. And it's a family that will become tribes that will become a nation from whom will come Jesus. And through him, anyone can come to be at peace with God and enjoy eternity in heaven with him. That's the, the blessing that Esau is despising. He's despising his place amongst God's people. And for what? Stew. I mean, it's not even got any meat in it. It's lentil stew. And it's so lame, it needs a bit of bread with it as well. And how long does it satisfy? Verse 34. He ate and drank and then got up and left. That's it. All that blessing traded in for essentially a snack. In the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews, you might remember this one when we looked at Hebrews, Hebrews 12, he warns us not to settle for stew. Verse 16 of uh, Hebrews 12. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit his blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. God works in unexpected ways. Sometimes through great struggles. Sometimes over a long period of time. Sometimes through sinful people. But like the hunger that turned Esau into a thoughtless brute who give up anything for a quick snack, our more immediate struggles and wants and desires can lead us to leave God out of the equation. So don't settle for stew. So ask, ask yourself, what is that stew for you? What's the stew for you? It could be concerns for your kids, for work, for friendships, money worries, just wanting a quiet life. And look, we'll all make wrong turns with these things. We'll all dip our finger in the stew. But we're in real danger when our hearts settle on these things in a way that leads us to despise our birthright. To treat our being reconciled to God through Jesus as if it doesn't matter or it isn't better. God having chosen us assures us But we should never let it mean that we let down our guard against falling away. The promise is we won't fall away, so do your best to not fall away. 
So keep thinking, what could that stew be for you? What's the stew for you? Ultimately, God's plans to bless us are fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus, the firstborn, who came to serve us. He served us in the worst struggle in history, taking upon himself our sin on the cross. And it's the struggle he chose so that we can be forgiven, so that he could choose us to know his blessing. God cares about our everyday struggles. He's at work in them and through them to make his plans to bless us happen. And God, by his grace, blesses and works through strugglers like Jacob, strugglers like Esau, strugglers like you, and strugglers like me. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray for anyone here today who is feeling the weight of those struggles. Can't see you in them. Can't see how any possible good can come from them. Lord, we reach out to you in faith and trust that you are in control, that you've got our best interests at heart, and you will fulfill your plans to bless us. Help us to hang in there. Help us to encourage those who need help hanging in there. Help us to be real with one another so we can pray for one another, give practical help and point each other to Jesus and the blessings we have definitely got in him. Amen.